Stories. I'm your host, Goulash. So, um, how's everyone doing? Oh, um, before I forget, I wanted to mention, since so many people keep asking me about my ghost tale that's made of a long string of goo, I created an email for people to contact me. So, uh, yeah, if you really want to know what I look like, all you have to do is send me an email and I'll respond back with a picture of myself. In all my glory. That way you can stop asking me questions about how I look. The email is spookystoryshow at gmail.com. That's S-P-O-O-K-Y-S-T-O-R-I-E-S-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. In case you're wondering, yes, the G in Gmail stands for ghost. Also, feel free to email me any questions or thoughts you have, and I'll get back to you. Who knows, I may even answer your question during the next episode. Our first story is called... Apple Monsters. You best dump that bucket of water out back, young man. Don't want any apple monsters coming around here, said old man mister walking by. Tommy, the young man inside the barn, hunched over the bucket of water, smiled at the old man. Every day he walked by and reminded Tommy to dump his bucket of water out back when he was finished. Tommy worked on a small apple farm and spent most of his day rinsing apples. From what the old man said, If you leave buckets of water out around apple farms, it attracts apple monsters, a insect, rodent-like monster that is as large as a car. Yes, sir, will do, said Tommy. The old man smiled and walked away. Tommy reached to lift up the bucket of water, but before he could, a voice came from behind him. For the hundredth time, Tommy, don't listen to Mixter. He's just an old fool. He was told by his grandpappy long time ago of some sort of apple monster, and he never figured it out. It's just to keep the bugs from coming in the barn. It's mostly beetles we gotta worry about around here. Mixter's a fool. Speaking was Tommy's boss, Farrell. He wasn't that nice to Tommy sometimes, and also seemed overly annoyed at old man Mixter's warnings. Yeah, yeah. Just figured I might as well do it, said Tommy. But then, another voice chimed in. That's right. The old man is a fool. But it ain't beetles we need to worry about. It's field bats. The second voice was Tommy's co-worker, Loons, who was also annoyed with old man Mixter. Farrell and Loons both agreed there was no such thing as apple monsters. But... They strongly disagreed on what animal the legend was actually talking about. You idiot! shouted Farrell to Loons. It most definitely is not a field bat. When you hear the description of the monster, it sounds nothing like a bat. It's more like a bug. It's got long legs and a hard shell. 
Always about the bugs. How could the monster be a bug when it's got fur and claws? You ever hear of a bug with fur and claws? Loon said. Well, no, I haven't. But I sure as heck don't believe you have to worry about any bats around here, replied Farrell. Nearly every time Mixter warned about the apple monsters, Farrell and Loons got into it. Tommy, for the most part, stuck to himself and just did what the old man suggested. Usually it was fine, but today, Farrell and Loons were so angry that they told Tommy to leave the bucket of water out so they could finally see whether it was bugs or bats that would actually come after the bucket of water. Tommy was annoyed, but didn't want to argue so he left the bucket out and continued working on other things. Eventually, midday came, and though he was in the shade of the barn, the heat of the day wore on Tommy. After eating his lunch, Tommy began to nod off and fell asleep in his chair, right next to the bucket of water. Tommy didn't know how long he slept, but when he woke up, he immediately knew that there was something wrong. For one, there was no water left in the bucket. Also, there was this horrible smell in the air. It was moldy and musty. But what was worse, when Tommy tried to stand up, he found that he couldn't move. There was something prickly holding him to the chair. Um, hello? Anyone here? What is that holding me back, guys? Tommy said nervously. It felt like a million tiny toothpicks were gently but sturdily holding his legs and arms against the chair he was sitting in. Tommy was faced out of the barn door, so couldn't see anything behind him or inside the barn. Guys, you there? Shut up, boy. We're talking. A voice came from behind Tommy. It was Farrell. You moron! That's not what it is. Look at the shape. The shape is... is, Ah! Look at the shape. You ever see a rodent like that? Okay. There's the shape. But what about the legs? It was Farrell and Loon. They seemed to be arguing like they usually did, but now it was over something they were actually looking at. Something in the barn. It's black, large, smells horrible. Now, of course, I know an exoskeleton when I see one, and even though it's got some fur on it... ah, ah, There ain't no way you can classify that as a rodent. You said it. It's large. Now, I see those legs, and I know that's not typical for a rodent especially one the size of a tractor. But it sure as heck seems to me that it could be... Ah, ah. Maybe a large rat? Despite sounding as if they were in excruciating pain, Farrell and Loon continued arguing, leaving Tommy stuck in the chair. Tommy's worry grew as he heard a cricketing sound come from behind him. He couldn't see it. He couldn't see anything. He just heard it getting closer, and closer, and closer, until it seemed like it was right behind him. Look at that. Look how it's walking over to Tommy. 
It walks just like a bat. Tommy thought he was done for, but just then, an old man walked into Tommy's view. It was Mixter. He was pissed. He spun around in anger to see what was going on in the barn. What? I told you, god dang it. Oh, great. Here comes the old man with his old fairy tales, muttered loons from behind. Old man Mixter looked at Tommy, and the anger in his face seemed to fade to focus. Mixter lifted his cane in the air, twisted its handle, and out from the bottom came a large knife. Mixter jumped toward Tommy with the cane raised high above his head. The old man seemed to move with agility Tommy had never seen, swinging the cane sword here and there, and with each stroke, a spew of green goop filled the air. Slice, 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 slice. Finally, Tommy felt the restraints around him ease, and whatever was just behind his head peeled off from the back of the chair. Old man Mixter stood in front of him with green goop dripping from his cane. Tommy himself was drenched in the slime. Well, hope you learned your lesson. Have a nice day, young man, old man Mixter said before walking away. Tommy, shivering, slowly stood up and turned around. The entire inside of the barn was covered in green goop. There was goop everywhere, from the rafters to the floor, and all over Farrell and Loon. But though they were bruised and bitten, they seemed to be in good spirits. From that day forth, though Farrell and Loons would continue arguing about what they saw, they treated the old man better, and every day made sure to dump the bucket of water outside themselves. I'm such a sucker for stories with green goop. I mean, honestly, everything looks better with green goop. It's true. I seriously can't think of one thing that doesn't look good with green goop covered all over it. Well, except for maybe a newborn baby. I prefer them covered in blood. What? Newborn babies are supposed to be covered in blood. They were just born. The next story is called... Chapter C. <laughs> Chapter 1 Each passage of time is a passage I have yet to write. I hold back for whatever reason, and it's an unbreakable curse of distraction. I could be counting down the keystrokes to my first full story, but instead I'm fascinated by the shockingly unremarkable off-white paint on the wall behind the monitor. When I realize I'm staring at the wall, I pull my focus away from it, and I adjust my back to force myself to sit normally. Of course, it's not too long before that passes, and I find myself staring at the shockingly mundane, perfect 90-degree angle of the edge of my monitor. In a burst of clarity, I lift up my glasses from underneath as I shove my fingers into my eyes and rub them with an intent of giving up. Only just then I decide to just write whatever I'm feeling. Write something important. To me. Roughly five minutes later, I was nearly done with the first chapter. For the first time in a while, I felt this could go somewhere, but uh, I heard a knock at my front door. 
The curtains next to the door were heavy enough to block out the sun, but in the middle of the night, its job is to hold the light in. And sure enough, as I open the curtain to look outside, as if to shoot a flare, the man behind the door peeks into the windows and waves. I ask who it was and why he was here at 11.30 at night. Well, I'm here to stop you from writing. Chapter 2 I don't know what you're talking about, I say. Understandable. I mean, you were never an amazing writer, but you've had a fair shake of luck in your days. Luck? I'm confused. How do you even know who I am? I'm only here because you asked me to be here. Well, not you directly. Shouldn't you be in bed? It's kind of late. He was an older man in his upper 70s, and it was very clear that he might have a few issues upstairs. I feel like you've completely misinterpreted the pressing nature of this visit, sir. He settles himself in a chair that I did not ask him to sit in, in a house I did not invite him inside of. You are not allowed to write this story. Which story? The one you, in theory, are working on this very moment. Never mind how you think you can tell me what to do. Uh, tell, tell me how you know I'm writing something right now. Well, at least before you came a-knocking. I used to know a man. His eyes were shot and he stumbled his way through the city. Where's this going? It's going where you're headed, assuming you choose not to heed my advice. Just do me a favor and get to the point. The man, eagle-eyed and unbroken, found himself in a situation not unlike yours, where he was given an ultimatum, asked to give something up he loved for something worthy of saving those around him. Instead of taking the path that would be the easiest, he fought through the hardships, saved hundreds if not thousands, but most importantly, he saved himself. From his coat, the old man took out a pocket watch and flipped it open. Tapping the face, he groaned, closed it, and shoved it back in his pocket. We don't have much time. I'm asking you to just toss this story aside and start a new one. To make sure this is the one, can, can I see it? Honestly, I say, it's not something I'm planning on even sticking with. In fact, the nature of the beginning is something I've done a hundred times before. You have just a writer stuck trying to figure out what to write. What makes you so sure this is the one that I need to stop? Oh, don't you worry, little boy. I'll, I'll know for sure. I throw my hands up and I tell him I'm going to go print it out. So I head back into my office and grab some paper. A beautiful family, he says from the other room. I've been meaning to take those down. I say as I hand him the papers. So you've only just written this first chapter, then? Good. All right. Cut the shit. Tell me why you're here. Chapter 3 It's been three hours since the old man left, kicked out of my house. I heard him out, but once he brought up his ability to travel through time or something, I got angry. If the story goes beyond a fourth chapter, fire and brimstone will rain down, etc., etc., Yet no matter how much I sit here thinking about the nonsense he was spewing, I kept thinking, what if he was right? The unremarkable off-white wall looks just as mundane as it did hours ago. Select all, delete. It's gone. Another potential idea, gone to waste. I pull my focus toward another mundane object in the room as the helplessness settles in. A bottle of dried, white-out sits half-opened. I should have tossed it months ago. I swipe away at some crumbs that sat near the mouse pad. 
A note to call my lawyers at Kubler-Ross is taped to the side of the desk. I go to take a sip of my drink, but realize that it's empty, and it has been for a few hours now. It would be easy to get up to fill up the glass, but instead I feel locked in this chair. I look into the wastebasket beside me and see the ripped-up sheets of paper with the story on it. I can't remember who ripped it up during the argument, but there it was. Why do I believe him? Why am I letting him tell me to stop? As the cursor blinks on the screen, preceded by empty space, I feel compelled to undo what I've done. So I do, and there it is again. All that I wrote, fully restored. On the next page, I write chapter two. I reach for a drink, but it's still empty. Chapter four. The words flow out of me with great vigor. It might not all be great, but it's mine. It's a stream of consciousness that is my own and that is respectable in its own right, I guess. My fingers start to type faster than my brain, and yet the back of my brain keeps rationalizing, bargaining against reality and the reality the old man created for me. A part of me realizes that I've lost track of time. The short few paragraphs I wrote initially has turned into 12 pages of something that seems to be flowing in from outside my body. My fingertips feel warm from the electricity of this unexpected surge. Before I know it, I'm on chapter 4 already. I try to convince my fingertips to slow down so that I can analyze the words I've written out. There's typos everywhere, red lines fill the word processor, but some of these seem to make sense, and then some of them don't. But it could just be at the speed of which I'm typing. Some are just long strings of nonsensical characters. Paragraph after paragraph fill the screen, and there's only one place to go from here. Chapter 5 My apartment sits on a hill. If I stand and look out, I can normally see hills off in the distance. Trees, cars, buildings. But now it looks different. For one, I now lay on the floor instead of standing at the window. The hills in the distance, as well as the trees, are now all on fire. Buildings are all either on fire or crashed to bits on the floor. I hold my side. Small and large boulders fall from the skies above, catching fire as they break atmosphere. One of them happened to burrow its way through the apartment above me and crashed directly into my computer in front of me. The crash exploded everything into shrapnel and I took most of it as the boulder kept going through to the next two floors below me. I crawled myself toward the balcony to yell for help but I doubt it would have made much of an impact as everyone else around me was screaming just as loud. In my final moments gasping for the air that's escaping my body, I begin to admire the beauty of the bright lights, of the bright reds and oranges and yellows against the sky that's pitch black. The beauty of it all was overwhelming. Then started the cracks of lightning that broke up the darkness. Off in the distances, I saw nothing but more of the same beyond my hill. But between the vast emptiness highlighted by the lightning, I could see only but the silhouettes of giant figures planted firmly on buildings and hills surrounding me. The screams grow louder as the large creatures begin to bellow. Oh, I love a good apocalypse. Makes me feel right at home. In fact, I may just play the end of that story on repeat if I ever feel down. I'm sure it'll cheer me right up. Our final story is called The Dishes of Doom. <laughs> At last, it was Friday night, the end of my work week. It was not an easy week to get through, so I decided I needed to treat myself. I'd refrained from watching TV all week, so my treat would be to get high and watch a scary movie. 
There was just one last thing I had to do before I could celebrate. I needed to clean the dishes. The pesky, disgusting dishes that I'd neglected for days. If there's one thing I like to put off and not do, it's the dishes. I live alone, so thankfully I only had a handful of dishes to clean. So I took a deep breath, rolled up my sleeves, picked up my dish scrubber, and thoroughly cleaned each dish, putting them on the rack to dry. After about 15 minutes, I was finished. <sighs> okay, now I can relax and have some fun. I opened the cabinet, grabbed a container of peanut butter cup edibles, gobbled two of them down, and did a little victory dance. No one was watching. As I made my way to the couch, something caught my eye. It was a dirty cup. Just when I thought I was done with the dishes, I grabbed the cup, marched back to the kitchen sink, quickly polished it clean, and threw it on the rack. No more dishes, thank you very much. Time to relax. I grabbed a snack on the way out of the kitchen to reward myself for the additional job well done, then made my way to the living room and plopped myself down on the couch. But then, to my horror, I noticed something awful on the coffee table in front of me. There were more dirty dishes. Ugh. Just when I thought I was done for sure this time. At first, I thought I could ignore them and just watch the movie. But my attention kept getting pulled back to the dreaded dishes that lay out before me. I looked a little closer and noticed some fuzzy green patches on the bowls, plates, and utensils. Little gnats were festering on the plates, fluttering back and forth between dishes, enjoying a taste of the rotten cuisine. And then the awful stench hit my nose. So I threw up my hands and said, Okay, okay, I'll do them already. So gross. I'll just have to get these done so I can finally relax and watch the movie. So I scooped up the grotesque collection of plates and bowls, being careful only to breathe through my mouth to avoid the awful smell, and stomped my way back to the kitchen. However, when I walked through the kitchen door, I saw something that nearly made me drop all my dishes I was carrying. The same dishes I had previously cleaned and put on the rack to dry were now completely soiled. But not only that, I swear there were a couple of additional dirty dishes on the counter that weren't there before. How could this be? I live alone. Did someone sneak into my apartment just to dirty my dishes? Is it possible I only imagined cleaning them before, but really I didn't? Could it be that I just didn't notice the other dishes that were there? Was I going mad? I'm pretty sure the edibles haven't kicked in yet. I dumped all the dishes I was carrying in the sink, turned the water on full blast, grabbed my trusty scrubber, and got back to work. Again. What ensued was a delirious flurry of dish cleaning that I didn't even know I was capable of. I was cleaning dishes left and right, my brain on autopilot hyperdrive. It was like my hands had a mind of their own, moving in all directions to get the job done. And yet, despite my furious efforts to clean the dishes as quickly as humanly possible, the amount of dirty dishes refused to diminish. The more I scrubbed and cleaned, the more I looked to my left or right and see a new pile of dirty dishes. But now they weren't just dirty, they were absolutely filthy, caked with greenish-brown mold, cockroaches and flies dancing and digging, 
into the disgusting funk on the messy dishes. And the smell, it was so atrocious. Even though I had stopped breathing out of my nose, it still found a way to invade my sense of smell. I could feel myself getting nauseous. Nonetheless, I pushed on, putting more elbow grease into the job, scrubbing faster and faster, my heart thumping louder and louder. I was no longer human. I was a dish-cleaning machine, hell-bent on warding off this never-ending horde of dishes. More and more soap bubbles filled up the sink and began to overflow on the counter and floor. And yet, no matter how fast I scrubbed and cleaned the dishes, I still wasn't fast enough, and the dirty pile just kept growing bigger and bigger. I don't even own this many dishes, I said to myself. As I scrubbed, a soggy blob of scrambled egg shot out from a dish and splatted onto my face. I nearly barfed. Suddenly, I noticed a shadow had washed over me. I looked to my right, and my eyes followed a stack of dirty dishes. Up, up, up. So high that the dishes obscured the kitchen light and nearly touched the ceiling. I stopped to admire the humongous tower before me. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen so many dishes in my life. As I looked at it in awe, I began to notice the delicate nature in which the monstrosity was stacked. If I wasn't careful, if I made a sudden movement or even breathed on it too heavily, the giant stack would topple over and it would not be a pretty sight. Just then, I heard a sound in the distance. It was a bus coming down the street. Whenever a bus drives past my apartment, the whole apartment shakes, which would surely topple over the gigantic tower of dishes. My eyes grew wide, but before I had a chance to do anything, the dishes began to rattle and shake and dance around as I helplessly listened to the big bumbling bus charging down the street. I looked up at the dish tower as it swayed back and forth like a slithering snake, and I watched in petrified horror as the tower teetered too far to one side and came down with a mighty crash. I was buried in dishes, and everything went black. Suddenly, I woke up in bed, my heart racing. It was all just a dream. A pretty silly dream, I must say. But to be honest, I admit I was a bit scared. I never thought I'd be so scared of a pile of dishes. As I began to pull back the bed sheets to get out of bed, I realized something. They weren't bed sheets at all. They were dishes. In fact, I was covered in countless heaps of dirty, stinky dishes. Even my pillow was a big, smelly plate. One of the many benefits of being dead is you never have to do the dishes. Gosh, I can't even remember the last time I used any sort of dish for a meal. Most of the meals I just have to peel off the clothes and rip out the hair before I eat them. No dish required. Well anyways, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again next time, my ghouls. <laughs> 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 <laughs>